Welcome to show 64 of the C-Suite podcast being produced in partnership with Genesis. The topic we're going to be discussing on this episode is whether the insurance industry cares enough about customer experience. Um, Although I'm confident the issues we'll cover off tonight will be uh, relevant to a number of industry sectors. So if customer experience is something you're responsible for or interested in, then it's probably well worth your while listening in. Uh, My name is Russell Goldsmith. I'm recording this show on location at the wonderful Plateau restaurant in the heart of Canary Wharf, as the team from Genesis are about to host an intimate dinner event on this very topic, but I'm fortunate enough to have grabbed uh, some time with the host of the event to join our show. Uh, so welcome to Martin Hill Wilson, who is founder of Brain Food Consulting and one of the leading industry experts in customer experience, or CX, as I think we can safely refer to it from uh, here on in in the podcast. Alongside Martin and representing the Genesis team, we have Alistair Burton, who is expert in interaction analytics. And finally, it's also a welcome back to the show to Sharon O'Day. Uh, Sharon was last on the C-Suite podcast way back on show 15, which was over two years ago now uh, when she was head of digital communications at Standard Chartered Bank and um, at that time we discussed social media in the finance industry. Uh, Since that time Sharon has become an independent consultant and co-founder of Lithos Partners and if her Twitter feed is anything to go by uh, seems to spend a hell of a lot of time uh, traveling the world consulting and presenting on exactly this kind of topic so it's great that she's back in London to join us tonight. Now if you do hear a bit of noise and clanging it's because uh, it it proves that we are here at Plateau because we're sat in, in a private room but right next to the kitchen where they're preparing dinner. So apologies for any of the noise you can hear in the background, but it all adds to the atmosphere. But let's get stuck into the main topic straight away. So uh, Martin, uh, first question to you, does the insurance industry care enough about customer experience? I think as, an ex- uh, as a school report, they could do better. Um, it's emerging, but I don't think they're really at the front of the gang. They're not necessarily at the back, but I think they're still testing the waters. Right. And, and Alistair, what's your, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I think from a, a customer experience perspective, there's too much focus on the customer acquisition side. Uh, rather, you know, the, the, the whole thing is, is that uh, the amount of contact that customers have with insurance companies are few and far between. It's either at point of claim, it's at policy renewal, and I think they tend to neglect the CX side uh, from a, a, an ongoing engagement perspective. It's too much front-loaded on the actual customer acquisition part. Okay. All right. Well, all the stuff that we're going to come on to in, in detail. Sharon, any thoughts on that? That there's that over-focus on, on the customer acquisition and actually a, a big challenge from across uh, the financial services industry from emerging players in the market um, that, you know, that there's an expectation that people have a, a different view of um, the brands that they want to deal with rather than using old traditional brands and that's going to be a huge challenge um, from a customer point of view. Yeah, I think, you know, so there's moments of truth. So effective when you do, as, as a, a policyholder, when you do need to make contact with your insurer, and it's quite often at point of a claim, that's where you need to make those experiences really memorable for the right reasons. You know, I think the leading providers do this really well, and you know, that inspires loyalty. And I think effectively, to sum that up, if you get a superior claims experience, you're potentially going to create lifelong customers for yourself. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, do my research for this uh, this podcast, Martin. I um, spent a little bit of time on your Twitter feed, um, and pinned to the top, uh, you've got. Um, a presentation that you gave and uh, to be fair it was, it was a couple of years ago but it, interestingly I don't think much has changed because in, in that talk you question whether anything ever changes and refer to things like customers having to contact a company multiple times being passed from one agent to another being left on hold having questions left un- unanswered and it goes and it goes on where do you think we are now on this whole issue well that is a, a, a well-known soapbox from me um, <laughs> having watched the paint dry for 40 years you know did I choose the right place to be Uh, And I think in fairness, the competency uh, arc, I suppose, is a pretty long one. 
But people at the front end have, have mainly mastered those things. Uh, you can get through pretty fast. Uh, importantly, you can get through under your choice of whether or not it's going to be live or self and self-service, and I think that matters a lot. If you are going live, there's always a queue. So the point there is not necessarily how long you wait, but are you going to get to the right resource at the end of that? And that's all about triaging and routing. Have you trained the people well? Are you just basically set up? And then behind all of that is, have you got silly policies or have you got sensible policies from the customer's point of view? So it depends how much of that stuff you've fixed, you know. Um, at but, the, but at the back end, it's still dreadful. Yeah. And probably the average experience is still kind of mediocre, to be honest with you. But my point was, you, you, were talk- you did that presentation a couple of years ago. Yeah, 2015. Yeah, and so... Well, has, listen, has, from my perspective, I've been here for 40 years <laughs> talking about this. So, yeah, it's a slow burn. Yeah. Uh, and, and some of it is, you know, uh, from, from a customer's perspective, if you're engaging with a, with a call center, you go, why is that so difficult? Yeah. If you sit in the seat of that, there are lots of good reasons technically why it is so difficult to do. Um, is it insurmountable? No, it's not. Um, there's a core problem, which is that it remains a very underfunded area. Yeah, my perspective, slightly tongue-in-cheek, is that this is still the dustpan and brush for the rest of the business. And as such, we want you to do that at lowest cost. So finding investment strategically has been very difficult. So you don't tend to buy infrastructure. You don't get a whole new way of doing stuff. You tend to be fussing and fighting about a single license for a single channel, pretty please. As a result of which, many people have got very fragmented approaches to their communication infrastructure. Uh, And although you, the customer, don't say, I really want to choose three ways of communicating with you today, what I will do is to say, I just want it any which way, depending upon circumstance. And you can easily lose me in those queues. You can easily lose me across a claims process, which isn't necessarily going to be instant. And that's the point at which the thing looks klutzy and it really irritates me. So to make all that seamless and joined up, you really have got to brought together the communication, the data stuff, um, the workflow, the connection between the front office and the middle office. It's all got to be pretty smart and it's all got to be sitting up there in the cloud and all the good stuff that everyone talks about these days. And that journey is still, you know, the caravan Sarai is still doing its journey to get to that hallowed place. I'm sure Alistair's got some comments on that. I'm going to hold him back. You know, obviously that's, <laughs> that's why a bit, of a bit of a lead in. For it me. was. <laughs> and, I know, and I know that's why we're here tonight. But I'm going to hold him back because Sharon, you were nodding and along to there. What, what's your thoughts on, on what Martin was just talking about? Yeah. There is that need to bring together all of those layers and not hide that complexity for the customer, which we're used to seeing in other parts of our, our lives and particularly in terms of our digital experience. But where the customer starts to see the joins from the front end, that's when you start to lose loyalty, you start to, to um, impact the, the overall quality of customer experience. Um, and there is that need to use smarter digital interfaces in order to make that serious, that experience seamless for, for the end user. Com- coming back to one of the things you were talking about in terms of being left on hold, that thing in, in particular, um, and wanting to talk to someone, I was just wondering what your thoughts are on the use of bots, which obviously is, is quite a key topic at the moment. So, you know, will that help people get to certain answers quicker, or are we still going to be wanting to talk to a human being? There's two answers to that for me. One is there's bots and there's bots, okay? So there is a... Do you want to take bots first? <laughs> yeah. Bots as in sitting on messaging platforms, yeah. which was um, encouraged by um, Facebook, has been a massive crowdsourcing experimentation for a number of reasons, which is really more to do with them competing against the other players at their level in the marketplace. And it's gotten better in 18 months, but we have suffered as a result of that and been somewhat disappointed. If you go back to a generation which is more like virtual assistants and intelligent assistants, that's a 15-year-old technology. Um, And that's pretty robust. 
and that works pretty well. Um, so that's one part of the discussion. Does it functionally do what it's meant to do? Uh, but the technology is now there that if you stay within a narrow area of capability, if you get very familiar with all the different ways in which customers ask for a common thing, such as give me my account balance, uh, and if you understand conversational design, which is the user experience part of that, and you link it to the knowledge management and all those good bits and pieces, it pretty much does the job that it's meant to do. The second thing is, are you using it at the right point in a journey? And my rule of thumb there is if it gets emotional, if it gets complex, if it's about the relationship nurture, you really don't you need to use a bot. And I don't care what the generational conversation is about that. It's about humans. There you need to escalate. Uh, but on the other hand, if I, you put me in a queue when I could have got it right now, I'm equally irritated. So it's about architecting journeys and knowing when self-service and live works. And in spite of that, making the escalation between those two areas dead simple because you don't know where something simple, simple suddenly goes wrong for whatever reason. And you need to be able to get access to a person. So the other part of that conundrum is you shouldn't be trying to justify self-service as a cost reduction because otherwise you're going to get rid of the human being as the ROI, which is completely wrong. You should be really talking about choice, and if you designed it right, they're going to do self-service nine times out of ten for that particular use case. Um, I, I would echo almost all of that. I'm a, a huge fan of bots in theory because they can help people to... Uh, find their way around systems designed by IT in more human ways. So if we want to channel shift people over to, to digital channels, then it's a great way of doing that, of humanizing the experience. And, and to your earlier point around hiding a lot of those joins that exist organizationally, grouping silos together so that people can interact with a service or uh, in one interface. And bots are great, particularly thinking about the messenger space, that people now spend more time in messenger apps than they do on social networks. That you know People spend 85% of the time on their phone which is quite a lot of time, um, in three apps, one of which will be the messenger app of choice. So if people are using those apps, then it makes sense to try and deliver services to them in the ways that they like to interact. Um, so that can help shift people over to digital channels. But it also, given that a lot of, um, a lot of experiences in, in customer service in general are often quite robotic, there'll be you know, cut and paste answers that come from systems. So in many ways, a lot of call centers are already bots, they're just slower. Um, so in, in that respect, providing them through a well-designed channel Bot can actually make that experience better, faster, and in a channel that the customer likes to use. The, the challenge that we have is that's very much in theory. Um, when it comes down to it, content is the user experience. So you have to think about conversational design. You have to think about when it returns information, perhaps from our website, perhaps from a database in the back end. Is that also designed for a conversational interface? Is it designed to be read on a mobile phone? And all too often, those joins fall down. Another thing that, that sort of aligns to that is, actually, does it have a personality? So bots don't have to be a human, but they need to feel like a realistic entity. And uh, when you see them in practice, that's very rarely done correctly. The technology is very much there. I think there is an expectation with the bot space that people think you switch it on and it works and that really isn't the case you need to think about how do we augment um, improve re uh, replicate perhaps some of those existing human to human conversations so that they they can happen at scale and perhaps faster um, another another challenge there really is do you make single use bots so people go into them and find out this is my claim bot this is my buying a new service type bot or do you, but then people kind of, then you have multiple siloed experiences on someone's phone. Or do you think about having one bot that attempts to do everything, but then you find that the, the sort of lack of visible affordances can be a, a terribly confusing experience for people. So there's lots of challenges there, and I think we're very early in, in that kind of uh, journey of understanding how bots can improve that experience. And, and again, particularly to your point, 
how that hands over to a human when it's appropriate and what that point is. It's an interesting question. You know, there, there are lots of, almost every day I hear of a new company that's been stood up to, to provide a bot and looking at just purely at this from an automation perspective, which is it's all well and good, but you know, there's still always going to be the need for human, uh, for human input, human interaction. Mm. The way I see bots operating is really in a triage model where the bot can take the upfront interaction, can gather data. It's like digital IVR, I guess. Mm -hmm. So the bot starts to gather the data. Uh, and then basically through the intelligence, it, they, it can then determine whether it can handle it, if it's a transactional interaction, or if it needs to be escalated to a human. Mm -hmm. uh, and this, but the key thing is, and this is where we approach this really differently as Genesis, we have an approach that we call blended AI. Uh, so basically, you know, the bot works seamlessly with the live agent. So when, that, so, when a, so when an agent's brought in, the bot remains connected to the interaction and it's assisting the agent. Uh, so it's effectively providing the agent with the information to, 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 help, to help them problem solve faster and more efficient, efficiently to provide that continual and personalized experience. And also that bot needs to learn as well. So once that interaction has been passed to an agent, the bot can then learn, then maybe next time that interaction comes in, the bot can then take over from there uh -huh. and it becomes more transactional. But you really need that blend of automation, but also human interaction too. Absolutely. Alistair, th th I want to come back to, you know, this whole area of, of CX. This is your opportunity really to tell us what, you know, Genesis's uh, take on, on this whole area is. Yeah, you know, so at the beginning of this session, the podcast, I said, you know, so a number of contacts are minimal uh, with your, uh, with your policy holders. So it's really about making those contacts memorable. You know, oft, uh, as I said, often insurance companies focus on customer acquisition, not retention. So, you know, you need to make sure those points of contact that you, you, you provide the best possible experience. But the key thing is, is that businesses need business insight to improve the operational performance, uh, you know, and focus on areas such as first contact resolution. I think, Martin, you kind of, that was your concern that, you know, years on, we're still going around this problem. And businesses need to have that end-to-end -end view in terms of what's happening across their business. And once they get that aggregated view, they can then look down into where the process issues are, where the agent training issues are, and start to drive that, that change across their, across their enterprise. So it's really about having that complete view in terms of what's happening to drive uh, improvement in operational efficiency. And so how does your technology you know, deliver all, all that? Yeah, so you know, for my particular focus, you know, Genesis has a very broad suite of customer engagement sure. solutions, but for my particular focus, we look at interaction analytics. And if I'm to kind of boil that down into three key areas in terms of what we do. Uh, so you know, first and foremost, you need a solution that's going to pick up on the context of what's been discussed. Uh, and the way you do that is through identifying phrases across 100% of conversations. Uh, not working on phonetics and word spotting like a lot of vendors do. It's really grabbing that phrase and understanding the context of what's been discussed. And taking that from the audio itself, not from a transcript. You know, it's really, really important. You know, once you've got that context, it's allowing for uh, the automated uh, categorization of what that conversation's about. So you basically categorize the interaction then, and, then you, and then you put it into a bucket and then you can start to determine what you do with that from there. And that can drive automated quality management and quality assurance too. Um, so that's dependent upon key phrases, having predefined phrases. You can't predefine every single phrase within a business. So you need something that's going to uncover emerging trends too. So things that are happening in your business that you might not know about, but you absolutely need to know about. So you need exploration and trending capabilities too. So Genesis brings that to the fore. And that does take it from the transcript from the speech to text because you're looking at word spotting. And once you spot those words, you look for related words. Uh, and then once you get those related words, you start to build the phraseology. 
then once you've got the, those phrases, you can then go down to a lower level of detail and start to scrutinise exactly what's happening in those conversations. And is, is this going through? Because obviously, when you ring and they say, that, you know, for if these calls are being recorded for training purposes and this, and this kind of stuff, is that what's going into the system? And are you monitoring ev absolutely yeah, every single yeah, call? Yes. So, so basically, it's not just calls; it's conversations, and, conversations, and that's yeah, the sorry. third point. So yeah. the third point is is that you know what the the level of scrutiny that we allow businesses to go down to on the voice channel. We do this from an omni-channel perspective too. Right. So it's all media types, whether it's email, web chat, asynchronous messaging, social posts. We can bring that all through a single platform. But that's absolutely right. So we'll ingest 100% of conversations through our platform and allow this level of analysis. And really, you know, what we're looking to do there is there's a number of typical business areas that we focus and KPIs that we address. So whether it's improving policyholder, taking this back to insurance, whether it's improving policyholder retention, improving customer acquisition, or, or, or just empowering the agents to have better cross-sell and upsell capabilities. That's the first area. The second area would be first contact resolution, as we discussed, and reducing those repeat calls uh, and reducing the amount of transfers. And that's fixing the issues, whether it's a process issue, uh, where the agents aren't, they don't, they're not equipped to deal with the customers, uh, or whether it's just a, a pure training issue, we can identify this, because we have that end-to-end -end view, so you can look at good versus bad in terms of performance and move everybody up to the good mark. Then, you know, the other thing is taking a general look at customer satisfaction and NPS scores uh, and helping to, to determine, you know, what does actually constitute a good interaction and, you know, why did, why did they get that CSAT score? So basically it's taking a look at that and driving everybody again up to that level. And then, uh, you know, there's, you've got the cost reduction side of this too. Uh, where you start to look at average handle time and just uh, and, and just call deflection. Yeah. So again, driving that. And then, but last by no means least on this, and you know our business cases aren't driven by this, but it's in every single business case is compliance. And with regulatory compliance or insurance, it's really critical that you uh, are able to basically eliminate compliance risk. And because we're analysing 100% of interactions. Uh, we're looking for phrases. It's very, very easy to pick up on the key phrases that need to be mentioned. So what kind of examples are you talking about? Yeah, so, so, you know, so if we get a trigger phrase for a particular policy that's been sold, we'll then measure to make sure the agents are saying all of the key facts that they need to say. And we've got businesses that are hitting 90-plus percent in terms, in terms of compliance detection that the key phrases have been said. So yeah. you know, insurance is heavily, heavily regulated, so this is a very important point. Uh, it's not typically in a business case, but it's in every, everybody's mind that they want to automatically measure for compliance and eliminate that, that non-compliance risk. And in terms of you talking about looking for trends, I mean, sometimes the business won't necessarily know what phrases to look for, obviously. So, so you'll start to pick out new things that exactly. people are complaining about or, or have exactly. an issue with. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Start a, to a classic example is competitive mentions for insurance. You know, there might be an insurer that suddenly launched a new campaign. And they're starting, you know, so, so your, uh, your prospective client's phoning up and, and referencing another insurance company, and it starts to uncover these emerging trends, so you can react instantly to yeah. that. And it's, it's done very visually through, uh, through a word map. Uh, so when you look at the word map, you'll, the, the size of the bu uh, bubble indicates the frequency of a word being spoken. The proximity of, of bu bubbles together with words in them, uh, that's, ha that's them being spoken together. And then the color of the bubble uh, it indicates an upwards or downwards right. trend. So very visually, you can see exactly what's happening in your business there and then, and it's actionable. It's fascinating stuff. Uh, Martin, what's, what's your thoughts on it? Well, I have been a, a long-term fan of interaction analytics, and I've put a considerable amount of energy into communicating it in much the way uh, Alistair has. And I think the main thing to say is that call centres, um, unfortunately, are still a bit slow on this, to be honest. Um, we're still in the, at best, we've got about 20% of people in the UK using it. Um, but to me, it's a get-out-of-jail card because one of the problems that we've got in call centres is the inability to prove 
what's going down, to what degree, and therefore cause and demand change. Um, only that's, that's done primarily anecdotally through the feedback of the front line. That's just not good enough. Um, way back, I'm talking tape recording era, one of the oldest tricks as a consultant was to play a call recording back to a board and say, that's your customer. Mm. Now, that was one. But it was so powerful qualitatively, people used to you know, blush up and say, my goodness me, how can this be happening in my brand? Now, if you can do that 100% of the time, as Alistair yeah. said, uh, and you can do that at a forensic level and quantify that, if you can integrate that with what you know about the customers through CRM, you've got an extremely powerful analytic platform. And one of the points more generally about the use cases, I mean, you've got performance, you've got compliance, you've also um, got journey analysis, and you've also got voice of the customer. Now, one of the interesting things about being able to analyze the conversation is that it's not rehearsed. It's what actually a customer and an advisor have discussed. Mm. Whereas if I ask you at the end of the call, how was that for you? It's alert behavior. And one of the interesting things about NPS score is, you know, you get asked every time you go to the loo these days, how is it for you? And you go, <laughs> am I really going to recommend this loo to my friend and family? I'm going to get real. It's not, it's not where it's at. So in many respects, it's a much more powerful form of voice of the customer if you can use that. And when you see people for the very first time experiencing interaction analytics and they get it embedded or they see it somewhere else, there's a little light bulb that just goes on in people's heads and they go, my goodness me. And the problem is a very interesting one once they launch because they suddenly have a queue of people wanting to know what the hell has gone down for the last 24 years in their contact center. And in fact, that one little analyst is suddenly a bottleneck for a terrific unfolding and it gets plugged into closed loop feedback improvements. The whole thing transforms basically. So it's a foundation capability. And I would say one thing that whilst it's taken much too long to get people doing it, you can't play digital, which is essentially about being in real time in responsiveness without something like interaction analytics providing that feedback loop. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's a it's a foundation qualification thing, you know, that people need to get into. Excellent. Okay, we've got still lots to cover, and I'm conscious of time. I want to move on to another question I had, which kind of follows on really. But what are the other key challenges you think that that's facing the insurance sector today, Sharon? Let's let's come to you. Um, I guess in, insurance is at a really interesting inflection point at the moment. There's, there's three trends that really that are, that are coming through. One, the, the availability of data and the ability to analyse that data in ways that were previously not possible. So being able to have much more data-driven data decision-making, but also being able to consistent or constantly improve the way that you're working based on interaction analytics, based on real-time sales data and so on. Uh, but also externally, there's increasing demand for good quality, personalized, uh, fast and smart di digital customer experiences. So having them in uh, the responsive to our needs and personalized to our needs um, and, and much more in interlinked with one another. But also the needs that are changing quite rapidly. So people have fewer physical things to ensure, but we, we have more things that we keep in the cloud, for example, but also changing work and family patterns. So thinking about things like the sharing economy and the gig economy. So someone could be an Uber driver in the daytime and a Deliveroo driver in the evening. Does that mean they need to get two sets of, of um, business insurance but then they might not work for three months so actually the way that we are the way that we work is changing and our, our, what constitutes home and business is, is much more fluid than it used to be um, so I guess that so is customers relationship with financial services brands and with insurance brands 
Uh, so, you know, someone could be a tenant and a landlord, perhaps through Airbnb. So there's a need for the insurance industry to respond to customers changing and increasingly complex needs in a way that perhaps they didn't have to do previously. Mm. There's a need to perhaps rapidly develop new products in a way that is responsive to customers' needs. Yes, I would build on that. And I'd say that um, that's going to happen faster and faster. Mm. You know, if you, if you think that insurers do generate a considerable amount of data, uh, the ability to capture that, analyze it, respond to it increasingly fast, push that through into product development. Um, the worlds are changing for sure. And what you can therefore insure is a changing. So that's, that's one area, innovation as such. I think back to our core question, which is quite frankly, are we doing a good job in terms of customer experience? I think one of the other aspects is this still remains very strongly a product focused industry with a justification for why and when we pay out and when we don't and what the products can and can't do. And that's really not spirited around of a customer need in the first instance. I was very struck with Lemonade, which is one of these shining examples that you see these days. And I actually bothered to have a go with it. And I thought, gosh, that's so easy to do. Um, And I hadn't made me, it did make me think that the way that the normal insurance experience is configured is very long-winded it's it's almost an issue of trust you know do you believe i was doing that and by the way the industry has constantly got to deal with that issue at scale but nonetheless can you reduce it to something that really happens almost instantly so you don't hold up my life as a result Mm. of that and you can reduce that down to some very simple processes and i think that's the interesting thing for the industry Uh, if i was starting a brand today would i invent it the way that it is right now and of course the answer is not which is why you have a whole new generation of customers coming through and that probably is representative of the biggest challenge that they've got can they get away from all the reasons why they've got to stay the same and can they say i'm not a company that was born in 1770 in a coffee house in london somewhere you know can i be modern in terms of that demand and that's going to be the biggest challenge which is to stay true to what they're good at but also see the world afresh and that could well be too difficult for many brands also thinking about the the way that you people expect services to be joined up so at the moment i might book a holiday and then i have to go and buy insurance actually my credit card company knows that i've just spent however much on ba.com in fact insurance should be offered to me at that point through using things like open banking, it becomes much more possible to, to offer that sort of smart service to people thinking about the, the plethora of data that is available um, and, and enabling you know services to come to you rather than expecting the customer to come to them. And there's a huge opportunity there. But it also means that people are, uh, instead of going and buying insurance, they are expecting to be able to insure for individual events. So thinking about Revolut, for example, recently launched this uh, geolocated Um, travel insurance so that your phone is with you so it knows that you've just landed in Geneva and it will ping you and ask you if you you need to buy ski insurance which is is a smart way of working and actually as we are increasingly connected and we we have our devices with us that are recording that know where we are that that could work both ways you know it knows that I was definitely on holiday in Geneva um, which can can also help with the claim end of the the business as well thinking about you know the internet of things Now I think this has been an issue for insurers since day one it still remains that it's the same issue it's you know they need to find ways to access both their new and existing customers before they get onto the price comparison websites this is the biggest concern it's first port of call mm. so it's how do they proactively engage their customer base you know what do they do to proactively engage that uh, that base uh, and also you know they need to back to the data thing they need to be able to use data to start to uh, perform predictive analytics and modeling to basically look at the policyholders who are at risk of churning 
So it's intelligent use of that data to proactively engage, and when they do proactively engage, to, 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 to implement best practice across, across their enterprise and their teams, so that when they're outreaching, there's, there's a level of consistency and personalization. Okay. Well, let's talk about one final thing there, by the way, and that's to do with, am I a mug for staying with a brand for more than a year? <laughs> You know, it's still very much a get the customer, win the new customer. Now, if I'm stupid enough to stick around for a year, I suddenly start to pay for all the other claims and my premiums go up at the end of the day. And way behind the scene at the actuary level, the whole mechanism for the pricing doesn't support the idea of keeping customers over time. I have a deep suspicion I'm much smarter if I go shopping every year for my policy. And that's a core problem. If we're talking about customer experience, which is all about keeping customers for a period of time, longer than just that season, it's not organized right at the root of many uh, many insurance businesses to keep that customer. And that's really why CX has to get strategic because it has to be driven from the leadership down across all the areas. I mean, we can have people in call centers being as nice as pie, yeah? Sympathizing about a crash and paying you out as fast as humanly possible and sorry the system is slow. That's not what it's about. What it's really about is rebuilding a business model to make sure that it works from that customer point of view. However, Martin, so, you know, I've had the unfortunate situation where I've gone through a claim situation recently. Uh, and, you know, we all know that, you, that, 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 that the policy value creeps up and up and up year and year. Uh, but I had a really positive experience with this particular insurer, uh, and I'd be happy to pay a, pay a slightly higher premium, knowing that they really looked after me in my, in my moment of need. So, you know, oh, no, you will. That, that's the point. That's the moment of truth. If yep. you get a great claims experience going through, you feel loyal to the brand. But I'm just saying, year on year, you know, property, insurance, life, or whatever like that, yep. if nothing happens to me, which is a distressed purchase, yeah, sure. I end up paying more. I have the sneaky suspicion I'm funding other people's screw-ups, you know? That's not being dealt with. Right. I'm going to carry on because I'm conscious of your time because I know you've got this event to get to. Um, But some of the things that you you picked up on before, you talked about Lemonade and a couple of other technologies and then data as well. It it leads nicely onto a report that I wanted to mention. And so this this was just recently out. So February this year, 2018, Insurance as a Living Business. It was released by Accenture. um, And it's a study of seven major insurance markets, including the UK, within which they said um, that insurance carriers globally could seize 375 billion US dollars in new revenue in the next five years by transforming and revitalizing their business. Now it goes on to say, and so I'm quoting for the report here, that insurers um, that continuously innovate and adapt to changing customer needs will be able to capture emerging growth opportunities and outperform competitors. And one of the areas it talks about um, that it says insurers could generate additional revenue from is value-added services that help reduce customers' risk, such as connected devices in homes to detect maintenance issues before they cause damage. So what this kind of led what I was keen to get your views on basically was whether or not technology like that or for example you know this all sits within the internet of things which I think you mentioned earlier so you know we can bundle into that the devices that go into into cars that you know the impact the premiums you pay based on how safe a driver you are that's going to potentially help bring down the cost of your insurance for some customers but do you think customers will be happy to share their personal data and will there be concerns about the security of it being shared so Sharon I'm going to throw that one at you first ultimately there's two questions when people agree to share their data do they think that it's going to be um, be held securely ultimately is it something that they think is worth sharing their data for is there a service that they think is that they actually need so you know when you say to people would you want a, your, a phone that tracks where you are 24 hours a day most people will say no but 10 years on we all carry one in our pockets uh, because ultimately the, the iPhone is, is incredibly useful for all manner of other reasons um, so 
actually, if people see that there is a service that they believe is worth having, I think they will consider that data potentially worth giving up to the right kind of player. That's, I mean, that's a good start for 10. And I think, let's just say for the sake of brevity, that GDPR ushers in a new period of making sure things to work to a certain standard on that. So assuming that we've got a slightly raised consciousness around of that, people should be much more focused upon building trust in order to enable that, as opposed to getting it more covertly. In that particular context, then yes, um, I think that's going to continue to change. But I think there's always going to be a red line in the sand for all of us individually as we go on our digital journey. So the one I always ask is to say, you know, where would you feel about medical data, for example? Mm. Would you go for cheaper uh, insurance if people knew your, your records? And we know that stuff gets nicked all the time you know mm. how comfortable are you with that how comfortable are you with for example driving your car as a 23 year old i don't know who told me the story but they told me recently that their their daughter couldn't wait to get off that thing it was cheaper but she just felt it was invasive as far as she was concerned now she's meant to be the generation that gets all hit to this stuff so it really is a much more nuanced uh, approach mm. and i think you know, if we can, uh, there was language in that report talking about wrapping the capability around the customer. Now, that either sounds very spooky or very, very powerful word. And it all depends whether or not I want to be wrapped around in a cloak, yeah? And whether or not I trust that brand to do some good stuff with that stuff. I must say, brands have not got a great reputation of using data for my value rather than your value so there's a huge change that we need to make i think if we're going to get to that point because the internet of things represents sensors every two centimeters down the walkway of my life Mm -hmm. and that's a huge change and that's really the place where we've got to re-examine before we go forward i think alistair your thoughts on this yeah so data it clearly has a key uh, a key part to play in this in this whole scenario uh you know if a customer can be convinced of the benefits of allowing that data to be used uh, and it's going to drive more relevant and, and cheaper products, then I think they're going to be good with it. But also, you know, the, the, the Internet of Things is an interesting concept. Going back to one of the previous questions here about customer engagement and engaging your customers, maybe that is the way to get that engagement. You know, with continual updates and interacting with the brand, uh, maybe that's how they're going to practically reach out to the customers and, and reduce churn. Sharon, last, last comment on this one. It's sort of related to that, there's always a fine line between providing something that someone wants at the point of need and, and being creepy and actually that the advertising has long struggled to get that balance right but you and the internet of things can cross the line into creepy remarkably quickly so there is there is a, an expectation there of actually what what do people feel comfortable with so there there is a there is a lot of benefit there and potentially a lot of opportunity in giving people insurance that they can buy precisely at the point of need based on where they are or their circumstance or, or perhaps their home or whatever um, and, and crossing the line into being slightly stalky right i need to uh, to move on because uh, it's getting louder out in the restaurant and uh, i'm conscious that we need to finish this off because you've got your event to get to i've got one last question to ask you so i'm, I'm going to push you for a short answer on it if i can and i know that with you three that's quite a challenge um <laughs> but given how much data is available in in, in you know contact centers and, and all the things that we've been talking about so what i'm keen to do is sum up how do you think um all insurance providers can improve their cx through a better understanding of their customers. Martin, let's start with you. Well, the simple answer is if you do get to understand customers, you use it practically rather than just store it, which is often what happens to begin with, collecting voice of the customer, you don't do anything with it. <laughs> so journeys, absolutely massive. And I would start on the notion of effort, okay. which is still pretty rubbish. If you basically run processes rather than journeys, your sole focus should be reducing effort. 
Um, and so you look at the pain points and you just reduce those things. And I think most of the modern players have done that very successfully. What, what Lemonade, as we said earlier, is about is dead easy. Yeah. So re-engineer those processes and make it simple. That's the first milestone, really, before you go anywhere else. And it's vital. You know, that's still massive for many, many brands. Okay, Sharon. Uh, with my digital hat on, I would say actually it's not simply about the data that you hold on people, but actually how that can better interact with their lives. So it's about combining that with a better understanding of the customer, bearing in mind the customer spends the majority of their life not talking to you. And actually, how can we make the services meet their lives and not expect their lives to meet the services that we provide? So uh, developing a better understanding of, of user needs in the round. So, Alistair, I'll let you have the final word on this one. Yeah, so I think we're all in agreement that uh, enhancing uh, insurance customer experience is critical to success. Uh, and, you know, those companies will clearly understand the intent of their customers, what skills are working within their agent population, uh, and how they leverage the insight that they're gleaning. And they're the ones that are going to improve the operational performance and be most successful. And, you know, from, from our perspective, with our platform, the Genesis Interaction Analytics Solution, uh, it basically allows them to an analyze that complete range of interactions across all channel types, as we spoke about earlier, uh, and under a single platform. But it's, it's all about getting the contextual insight in terms of what's happening across their entire estate and allowing the businesses to make their uh, key decisions, uh, ultimately to just drive operational performance improvement. Brilliant. Okay, uh, well, that's it. So um, thanks very much, all three of you, for, for joining us. Uh, as I said, I'm sure we can keep on discussing this topic for quite some time, but you guys have a dinner and another talk to get to. Um, so thanks once again to all three of you. That's Martin Hill-Wilson, Sharon O'Day, and Alistair Burton. Uh, don't forget, you can listen to all our previous shows of the series and read the supporting uh, notes on csuitepodcast.com, where there are links to subscribe on SoundCloud and iTunes for automatic downloads. And of course, if you use iTunes, please do give us a positive rating and review, as that helps us up the podcast if you've got any comments about our discussion on CX Today or indeed any previous episodes, then you can get involved by liking us on Facebook or following us on the uh, Twitter and Instagram feeds, which are also linked from the website. And finally, if you want to contact me about the series, then you can do that too via the contact form on the site or on Twitter using at Russ Goldsmith. But for now, thanks for listening and goodbye.